Hi, this is Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I am Metsy. Oh, did I miss a cue? What? No, I was doing I am Weasel. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, no, 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 no I gotcha. I am Micah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I have. No, wait. Yeah. You <laughs> no, no, I guess I, I guess I go. Okay. Boy, off to a great start. Uh, this is a podcast and we assign each other cartoons to watch. The next week uh, we review and discuss them. And this time we're doing one of our favorite things, looking at shorts. Um, yeah, so Maxie's going to look at uh, a Looney Tune called Hobo Bobo and a Popeye cartoon. I gave him, or rather he gave me, <laughs> this whole thing's off the rails. He gave wow. me <laughs> two little, two, three little pigs cartoons. One of them is from Disney and one is from Warner Brothers. Uh, we'll be getting to those. First, Matsy gives us the news. All right. Um, just real quickly, I haven't watched it yet, but I do have to mention that I saw that, I guess, Apple TV has a cartoon called Pinecone and Pony. And <laughs> I I glanced at it briefly and I'm like, that pony sure looks like the little fat horse that um, Kate Beaton always drew in her Hark a Vagrant historical webcomic series. All right. Uh and it turns out it's based on her book, The Princess and the Pony, and she's an executive producer of it. So, oh, so good for her for having a show. Um, it's about mm. a girl named Pinecone who wants to be a mighty warrior. But uh, and she's got her cute little fat little pony and things happen. The the one episode that I kind of flicked through real briefly uh, involved the pony wanting to compete in the prettiest pony competition. But of course, Pinecone mm. is like, I want to be a warrior and and things happen. So, like I said, haven't watched it much, but I I appreciate that she's got a, a thing going on because that pony seems sure. pretty famous. Like, I think there's an episode of Adventure Time where there's a horse that's stalking Finn and Jake while they're trying to sleep. Mm. And I was looking at that like, that's the Kate Beaton pony. I'm pretty sure. Man, uh, the, the title is enough to scare me away. It's like the most Mad Lib generic modern cartoon title. Oh, Pinecone and Pony? Oh, it could have been, you know, Pinecone and Cupcake and Pony and Dino, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's true, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, but the main thing that I have done over this last week, so as I mentioned last week, and I mentioned mm -hmm. to you off camera the week before, I got this Avatar role-playing game. Yeah. And I've been like reading it, but also hesitant to read it because it's got some spoilers in it because mm. um, a big hole in my cartoon watching is that I haven't watched The Legend of Korra. Mm -hmm. uh, despite Avatar The Last Airbender being one of my favorite cartoons. Right. So I decided, you know what? This is the time. Now is the time. Let's okay. fill this hole. And let's watch The Legend of Korra. So I did that. Because um, everybody mm -hmm. says that All The Legend of, of Korra... Yeah, I... Okay. Well, here's the thing. Everybody says that The Legend of Korra is better than The Last Airbender. Yeah, uh, everybody does. Okay. <laughs> well, um, you did, I think. Yeah, and, I do. And, and my sister says that also. Okay. Um, and when I watched The Last Airbender, I watched it all real quick. And I was like, oh, this is great. 
And then I started watching Legend of Korra and apparently I got two episodes in and just went, I don't feel this. Right. Um, and I think in retrospect, the reason for that is that I liked Avatar Last Airbender so much. Mm. And the Legend of Korra is such a huge shift. Sure. In, in setting and tone and everything. So I was like so invested in the last airbender that I wasn't ready for the jarring change. I wasn't ready for legend of Korra to be so different. Yeah. But now that it's been 10 years, I mm. like, maybe now I'll get into it. And I did. Okay. I am not ready to say that. I think it's better than the last airbender. Okay. Um, but it is good. I think there's been so many good cartoons that I've watched since then that I don't even I can't even say what's my favorite or not favorite because it's like there's a ton of cartoons that are really good. Like Adventure Time, The Owl House and Star vs. the Force of Evil, Steven Universe and Shira and the Princess of Power and My Little Pony Friendship is Magic and the Pretty first rich. season of Centaur World. And Meh. it's like, how do you pick one? Right. So. I went into I, I just went into it like, you know, everybody says this is real good and I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is with some distance from the last airbender. And yeah, it is real good. I like that setting. Um, yes, I like I I like Cora. I like this. The world. Um, mm -hmm. I like the stories um, for the most part. I like that each one is really different um, and localized like because because Avatar I keep calling it Avatar. I need to specify the last airbender. I wish you didn't. I wish we lived in a world where everybody could <laughs> look at those movies as just kind of junk. I know. Hmm. But anyway, um, what was I saying? The last airbender is there's the characters are complicated, but broad strokes. There is one big villainous force and some heroes that have to fight against that villainous force. All right. Whereas the legend of Korra, there are smaller villainous forces that mm -hmm. think that they're right. I mean, the, the, the fire nation to some extent thought that they were right. Although really it was just the tenerical, uh, <laughs> it's the era they lived in yeah, to parallel yeah. our, our timeline. Well, I guess even, even Korra would be too, where <laughs> they just think like it's our destiny to, to conquer our neighbors. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can draw some parallels, you know, as in the fourth season as the the Earth. Uh, does it even have a name? I guess it's just the Earth Kingdom um, mm. trying to conquer all of the states of the Earth Kingdom under one uh, rule. I, I guess the Fire Nation also learned from the Earth Kingdom, right? I think they were uh, the Earth Nation was the big conqueror of its day. Maybe Which makes sense I, in terms of their capabilities, right? Yeah, it does. Like, I'm just thinking, I I guess this is based on what I've read in the role playing game. I guess this idea of the nations being solidified was in the Kyoshi era, mm. which was two avatars before Aang. Mm -hmm. um, and like the the theme of that. I guess there's comic books or novels in that era, but it was like the nation's kind of solidifying their borders a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, um, what was I saying? So, yeah, the I like that there's I like that it's really about Korra and her yeah. evolution. And also like there's instead of her evolving to face one threat, there's like a bunch of different threats popping up that she has to figure out in different ways. And also mm. the evolution of 
the avatar as a concept. Because I don't want to give spoilers, but what it means to be an avatar changes right. in the second every, season. Every chapter's got, like, big repercussions in there. Yeah, like the third the third chapter is like, hey, guess what? There's airbenders now. What? Okay. Yeah, but not always positive, though. Like, she no. suffers, and, and she... Her, well, she doesn't do it, but the, the avatar... Um, role gets hurt during her tenure it does yes that's, that's what i'm saying like it's mm. like her she's a very impactful avatar like yeah. ang ang was an impactful avatar for his time because he stopped a hundred year war right but cora is like very much changing the world <laughs> like fundamentally yes. capital city becomes like well i guess he said no spoilers but the um it changes its relationship with the spirit world. Everyday yeah. life for everybody is different. Yeah. Um, yeah. The negative that I have about Legend of Korra is that the side characters are terrible. Really? Um, okay, so Team Avatar. Yeah. In So let, in, in The Last Airbender, you got Aang, uh, Katara, Sokka, um, um, Toph. Toph, and Zuko. Basically. Basically, yeah. And they're all, I mean, Sokka is kind of boring. Um, but Katara. Well, he, Sokka ventures dangerously into Princesses of Power bow territory sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he's got some good episodes, but. Uh, yeah. He, he's annoying, too, though. <laughs> yeah. But Zuko's a great character. Toph yeah. is, I think everybody, including the makers of the show, based on what I saw in Legend of Korra, um, everybody knows that Toph is the best character in all seven seasons. At least the most popular. Yeah. Um, mm. But then I'm looking at the team avatar in Legend of Korra, and you got Mako, who is nothing. Um, <laughs> he diminishes over the course, but he also grows a little bit, but he doesn't get a lot of time to He to is... Him. He is like 1980s cartoon default leader character who has no mm. interesting character traits. And then we put characters with traits around him. Sure. Um, Asami is also kind of nothing. Like, I like that she's Ooh, okay. I like that she's kind of the technologist and I like that she's a pretty face who's more than a pretty face. But also that pretty face is kind of hard to ignore how bland she is. Well, I guess she doesn't have a hook past the first well really really most of her involvement is the first season and betraying her family i, I guess yeah but yeah. she's you know I, I don't know she's there um okay apparently like i'm interested in seeing what happens to asami after the show because it's a different time period it's a little too soon right and they have a very tepid weird ending yeah series. yeah i'm thinking like you know if this show had come out 10 years later there would have been a kiss they sure. were just uh, they were just afraid to do or weren't allowed to do at that time as a consequence the build-up is a little weird too there is no build-up it comes out of well, nowhere yeah. They, yeah. they just spend time together like yeah because i'm so, i'm thinking yeah. like early on you know as there's this will they won't they tension between cora and mako i'm yep. like well i know who Cora ends up with. So how okay, do they get, in. Yeah. how do they get from this point A to that point L and turns out they don't, they just kind of jump. Um, 
So yeah. there's that. Um, and then there's Bolin. Okay. Oh, boy. Bolin oh, is useless. You say that. You say that. Do you mean in his, um, his bending okay, he capability? Ha- he, has, he has one use. He can bend lava. But as a character... Oh my god. There he, I can't remember he saves what epi- the day a ton. Like a he, ton his powers come in handy. Yeah, but he, well that's cuz earthbending is so powerful. Yeah. But every other moment where he's not moving rocks, yeah. He's the worst. Like I remember there was an episode where I think it was okay, so one character I can't remember who, maybe it was Lin Beifong. And she's like, oh, yeah. we should go up to the air temple from below and get. And they're like, no, no, no. They'll just lava bend down on us. What we need to do is get the drop on them from the air. And then Bolin goes, ooh. And as soon as he says that, I'm like, oh, Christ, he is going to say some stupid comic relief <laughs> crap that's going to be useless. And then yeah. he's like, ooh, I'll sneak in and you, yeah, distract them with my bird call. Like, right. Shut okay. up, you moron. Like, I hate Bolin. So he's, he's, yeah, okay. He's the kind of character that I've complained about in various other series. Yeah. This sort of, yeah. But I don't mind him because he's effective and, you know, I like his design. I like his kind of husky build. I guess. Um, and sometimes he's funny. I can get that he's a bit much sometimes. Like, I felt that yeah. his comic relief in the second chapter ate a lot of airtime. Um, kind of, yeah. His whole thing with Eska. Who, yes. And I do like yeah. Eska and Desna. I like characters that have little quirks, but they're mm. not in it enough for the quirks to become overbearing. Like, okay. like Eska and Desna are quirky and you can tell, like if there was more of them, they would probably get real boring and annoying. But sure. they're in just enough to be like, remember these weird characters? They're here yeah, and yeah, still yeah. weird. OK, now they're gone. So I like that. Um, um, but you know, yeah, you mm? know, a funny th- I, I'd heard that his name um translates in Chinese to third wheel, which is kind of funny. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. But there's, let's see. Um, What else do I like? Well, you I mentioned was... Lin Beifong. She's yeah. cool, isn't she? I like I her, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, that's one thing I really like in this series is the uh, preponderance of interesting middle-aged characters. Yeah, true. Tenzin. Tenzin rules. And he's not Tenzin. just... I was I about just... to say... I was yeah. about to say Tenzin is my favorite character in the show. You know, he's not just an interesting character, but I also like that he is like a really effective airbender. Yeah. He's not irrelevant. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't, he doesn't get like chopped in the neck and he's done for the fight. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's really, I like him a lot. And I was yeah. surprised, like it made, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, I understand this. But at the same time, it was surprising to see that he's voiced by J.K. Simmons. Because, oh, yes. <laughs> like, you hear that, like, I didn't realize it at first, but once I saw the name, I was like, oh, yeah, that is him, isn't it? But it's also really weird because he's not what you think of as a J.K. Simmons character. He's calm and, you know, he can get flustered at moments, but for the most part, he's very much in control. And mm. that's not what you think of from J.K. Simmons, but it works. Uh, I wonder if they modeled his look after him. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, when I think of J.K. Simmons, I just think of J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. So, but yeah, I like Tenzin a lot. The mm. voice cast in this actually is sad in some ways. Um, oh, because because I let's see in the third season, there's a character named Zahir 
who's oh, he's voiced, so cool. He is cool. He's voiced by rock star Henry Rollins. Uh, and but he's he sounds like gruff and tough, but he's also very calm. And I really like that. Like, he's a good character. And I like his assortment of benders that he has with him. Yes. Like his unique, weird ge- general. Exactly. Yeah. Like they're not normal benders. He's not a normal earth bender. He's specifically I, a lava bender or the water lady who has no arms. And just so she, she has just yeah. tentacles of water that she uses. Ming. I, I guess the combustion lady is, is a repeat, but that's fine. We wanted to see more combustion ability. Yeah. And her end there aren't. So, I was very oh, conscious. Yes, yeah. I was very conscious of the deaths in this show because you know, reading the role playing game, there's yep. no hit points, and they're like, "Listen, yep. don't don't do death lightly. Like when characters right. die, it's a big deal." And so I was very conscious of like when characters actually died, and like yes, the first two characters that die was shocking, but it also made sense. It was like, "Oh my gosh, wow, yeah, they died," and mm. then the combustion lady. I mean, don't want to spoil it, but I was... That's cool. My yeah. jaw dropped, and I was like, wait, like, wait, <laughs> did she... Is she dead? And Because they don't yeah. specifically say, you know, dead or whatever. No, you don't see like, them carrying out the headless stretcher. <laughs> and I was like, wait, did, did she die? Because that's one of the most spectacular deaths I've ever seen. Oh, that season. That season has an execution that really gave the me queen? pause. Like, wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. What a gruesome way to go. <laughs> Airbenders are scary, man. Yeah. Um, If they're not like reined in. But mm. yeah, a lot of spoilers right there for this 11 year old show. Well, um, for, for a character <laughs> that people probably if we're talking deaths, they, they probably would have bet it was one of them. Well, yeah. But also we're saying yeah. like, wow, a character died really gruesomely and airbenders are terrifying. So, yeah. yeah but yeah. um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in Korra and I'm glad to I'm glad that the oh I was talking about the voice cast um oh, yeah, and I said sad well there's a like um Sue Beifong Sue Yin Beifong mm. I'm watching her I'm like okay yeah sure and then I'm you know at the end I'm checking out the voice cast and oh she's voiced by Anne Heche oh okay she's vooced by Anne Heche oh um, wow yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not disappointed that she's voiced by Anne Hayes. I'm disappointed <laughs> in the fate of Anne Hayes. Yeah, I was thinking uh, about all the things I enjoy with James Franco. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then yeah. uh, Kuvira in season yeah. four. Like, I saw the name of her voice actress and mm-hmm. it just kind of like, oh, I don't immediately recognize that name, whatever. But then I paused the screen to look at a different name and as that name was staring at me in the face, Zelda Williams, it suddenly sunk in. It's like, Oh, Zelda. Oh, Zelda Williams. And then I go and look at the date and I'm like, Ooh, this is like, she would have probably recorded these voice lines like a year or two before her father, Mm. Robin did the thing. Okay. I shouldn't say did the thing in this context. Cause in right. Legend of Korra, do the thing means something. Yeah, right. Um, by the way, I like him a lot, too. Oh, yeah? Varric. He's a yeah. little much for me. He but is a little fine. much, but he's all, like, I can imagine just thinking about the role playing game. I'm thinking as a GM playing him as an NPC, that would be a lot mm. of fun. Um, right. Also, have you seen much of what like the the extended avatar verse of what's happened after 
the Legend comics and so on. Yeah. Not re- no, I haven't read any of that stuff. Um, so and I did I did bitch a little bit on Twitter the idea that uh, Azula might be get a redemption. Like no, she should just be a villain. I think anyway. So there's a president of the United Republic of Nations, and yeah. in the show it's Raiko. Hmm. Uh, do you know who succeeds him in the next election? No. Julie. Oh, interesting. And Bolin is her assistant. Hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, Julie Moon, Julie is cool. Um, uh, Julie mm. Moon is the new president. Uh, Varric is still running Varric Global Industries or whatever. Um, Asami is still running Future uh, Future Industries or Future Industry, whatever it's called. Right. Um, with Korra kind of doing Korra things. But yeah, Mako is a pre- uh, detective. And yeah, so it was kind of neat to see that follow up. Like, I was just happy to see. It was interesting to see. Oh, wait, that's who Julie is. Because I saw the yeah. name in the role playing book. It's like, okay, Julie Moon is the new president. Great. She's the one who does the thing. She does the thing. Also, <laughs> she does the big thing. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, just uh, maybe a little inside baseball, but in the role playing game, it has the the supplement, Wan Shi Tong's adventure guide or whatever library, whatever. Um, it has character sheets for various legendary characters, and hmm. Varric is one of them. And okay. One of his abilities that he has is called Do the Thing, and yeah. it allows <laughs> when he uses Do the Thing, he it allows you to allow another character to immediately take an action outside of their turn, huh. which is pretty cool. He's a um, warlord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have assumed one of his abilities would be to show up just like in a suit of armor or something, you know? Yeah, he just... I'm just... I'm in the scene. Yeah. Um, also worth noting, characters that have character sheets, mm. um, Katara, Sokka, Zuko, um... Toph, Asami, Varric, but not Mako and not Bolin. Interesting. So I think that uh, confirms what I'm saying about them being uninteresting characters. They don't even have character sheets in the role-playing game. Huh. Kuvira has a character sheet. Well, she's a prime villain. I mean, maybe they're to come. Maybe they could figure it out or space consideration... You know, you were talking about the various abilities people have, like even outside of bending. Yeah. One that I don't think you mentioned and I would that maybe again would be like uh, future content would be a Beastmaster like that uh, woman that rides the giant weasel Um, in in Airbender. There is a character class. Mm. I think it's the bold who gets an animal. It's kind of like a familiar in D&D. They understand uh, what you're saying and they could I think I can't remember if it's that class or another class, but there is an ability that some class has called yip yip which oh, okay. allows you to interact with your animal companion in some way. It probably right. is the the bold. Okay. Um, I said weasel. It's a, it's a big mole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. mole badger mole specifically. Yeah. All the well, animals I, guess I was I was half right. Yeah, yeah, all the animals are hybrids, remember. Right. Um I love Naga, the polar bear dog. Uh, there's a scene uh, where yeah. there's a scene where Korra's playing with her, and she's just using her earthbending to just lift up bricks out of the ground, 
So Naga mm-hmm. can pounce and then she shoves the brick back down and pops up another one somewhere else. I rewound and watched that scene twice because I thought it was just really cute. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a lot of talk about Legend of Korra. Uh, oh, but anyway, a lot of talk. Yeah, it is. Um, but anyway, I really like it. And now I know what I know what's happening in the world. And I'm ready to run a game of last airbender <laughs> role playing legends uh, okay. whenever we get time. Um, but now it's time to talk about what Micah wants to talk about. Okay. Um, well, I've continued with Steven Universe Future. Yeah. Um, Shelby Robara getting them residuals. <laughs> so I figured something out. Yeah. Uh, what I like about Amethyst, Rose Quartz, and Jasper, and maybe all quartzes, eh. um, I like their like wild manes that are so full that you could sleep on them as bedding or under them as a blanket. Oh, do you Maybe like both? Uh, I'm yeah. thinking Maeve from Wolfwalkers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think specifically this sort of curly, like, uh, down to the backs of your knees kind of mane that, that mm. Jasper and, uh, like I said, the, the other quartzes have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, as an eerie uh, concession to uh, uh, the algorithms figuring out what you want to watch, <laughs> you know this webcomic called uh, Nerd and Jock? I think so. Do you remember that? I so think I do. It's, it, it's mostly positive twists on the nerd and jock relationship, you, you know, know, where it'll be like, yeah. Now that you mention it, I don't think I've seen the webcomic, but I think that YouTube algorithms keep giving me shorts of that that they think I should watch. Oh, well, it's like, uh, there's one, for example, that I just read, one of the early ones where, uh, Jock is leaning over nerd and looking at his locker and saying, oh, you got a pretty spacious locker. Looks like you'd fit in there real good. So maybe you can store this life-size model I have of you. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. They're like that, most of them. Right. Um, anyway, I guess what's currently, or at least what's pushed to me on the Twitters, um, nerd has a love interest that's like a delinquent girl, you know? Yes. Yeah, so, I've, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is specifically the short that I've seen. Right, right. And she's got that full, uh, almost to your feet mane behind her. Mm, so, mm, mm. Yeah, uh, oh, the girl, the, the girl from, um, Viking school, uh, yeah. has that going on that, oh, yeah? cause I mm. said, well, I said originally that, you know, this was cartoon saloon saying we really like Maeve. Let's do her again. And so, yeah, but not quite, not, not, not the exact kind of hair. Okay. Not quite the hair anyway. that you want. Yeah, I guess I'm very specific. Um, <laughs> so uh, one flaw I have with, I had this before with Steven Universe. Uh-huh. Um, it's the idea of a society without names. Yeah. I think this, I think this just never works. Like it didn't work in Gargoyles. Oh, it doesn't Gargoyles. Work in Steven Universe. Yeah, that's dumb. Well, I always... and, and Gargoyles, it was like, we don't have names except Goliath and every Gargoyle you'll meet after us, after us, you know, they all have names and we'll yeah. take names now. Uh, yeah, and, it like, really it, it really felt like a concession. Like we want these characters to be named after places in New York, but there is no New York. So how do we do this? Right. Yeah. And then Pokemon and Digimon's the same way. It's like it's yeah, just yeah. their name until we find another Pikachu, and then he's got a nickname. Right. Um, right. And then in Steven Universe, like I, I got to the episode with um, uh, where they try to wrangle in two rogue Lapises. Oh yeah. And I was thinking uh, that for in. For for lacking indivi- individuality, they sure have like styled hair. <laughs> These lapises. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just think I 
think that doesn't work. Oh, by the way, I, I like oh, like that episode. I like seeing Lapis again. Our Lapis. Um, yes. And I like these other two Lapises who, given freedom, are like, no, we like destroying stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, remember last time how I lamented the idea that Lars just owns a bakery now and isn't this uh, Captain Harlock space pirate? Right. Well, I immediately was fed the episode where he decides to go back into space now that the um, off-color gems have graduated. Yeah. So, yeah, it came right back. By the way, I don't really like those off-color gems. I always um, thought their designs are kind of crummy. I I don't like them very much, but I do, there's one who has a really long name. She's basically a a future seer who always sees the wrong future. Or no, no, she sees no, the she future, sees the but past. too late. Yeah. She's the immediate past. Yeah. yeah, but I really like that there was one episode in Steven Universe where that actually came in handy. Where mm. where they're trying to do their ship and like Lars pushes the button to activate the jet thrusters or whatever and nothing happens. And oh, then okay. that gem just says, oh, Lars will push the wrong button. And they that. all just look at Lars and he's like, OK, so I like that that ability actually saved the day one time. Yeah. But yeah, those well, off color gems are. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely a separation from the gems that are well designed and the ones that are just filling in, you know. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the the episode that I've ended on is the best one of future so far. Um, it's one where Stephen has his psychosis echoed back to him by his talking cactus. Oh, which is such a cool idea for an episode. It's kind of like that uh, director of. Uh, uh, being John Malkovich, like he ghost wrote that episode or oh, something. Oh, right. Uh, um, uh, Sp <laughs> um, Spike Jones is the director. Uh, Kaufman. Um, Kaufman, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Ch Charlie, is it Charlie? Ka See, I'm getting confused so. because his his other movie adaptation stars Nicolas Cage as him, but he also right. has a twin brother. Right. Um, and I can't remember whether Charlie Kaufman is the the guy or the fictional twin brother. But anyway, for the for this episode, very funny, um, and a strange thing. It was kind of fun to watch uh, the principal three, well, four gems. We'll count Stephen in there. The principal four gems get into a conflict, get into some some scrapping. Yeah, yeah. Which actually we got a little bit of in another context with that snow day episode where they're playing tag. Good episode, also. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of good episodes. Yeah. Uh, they're. Really refined it. I was thinking that um, this is probably all the Steven Universe we should get because at this point, it's the familiarity that's fun. Yeah. But it's lacking, like, those early episodes were Discovery, right? Like, what's going on? What's that? You know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It like, kind of lacks that now. I, I, I agree. I think I really like Steven Universe, but I kind of think, you know, Future was sort of tying up all the loose ends that need to be tied up is like, here's how Steven's story kind of ends a little bit. Oh, um, well, not really. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. It's not like he dies sure. or something, but it's like, okay, I kind of, I, I think Steven future is a nice denouement. It's like, this is, yeah, this is a good end. And you don't, like I said, you don't, I mean, really, I thought that the movie was kind of, unnecessary like it was it, it was sort of, it yeah. was fun like i like that yeah. spinel is a villain and everything but as far as like in the overarching story of steven universe like this 
the show tells what it needs to tell and you can live without any more. You know, she's on the opening credits. She's on uh, Yellow Diamond's shoulder. She could easily be a character that we just pretended didn't exist after the movie. Um, I mean, she might not feature in any episode, but they put her in the opening credits at least. Um, yeah. No, you don't got to spoil. But, but no. the, okay. you actually reminded me as you're talking there about uh, the role of future plays, um, about tying things up mm-hmm. and how me talking about Lars and space exploration last week has already come to fruition. Uh, so I'll get on record now before I investigate future episodes uh-huh. uh, of <laughs> future. Of future. Um, yeah. That if they want to give the ultimate fan service, uh, we'll see the mystery woman from uh, Pearl's. What was the episode called? Bismuth be- be- casual. No, no, that's not it. No, it's the not. mystery woman. When, when Pearl goes to a concert and they steal a car. Remember that one? I thought that was Bismuth Casual. Is it? Because Bismuth isn't even really in that episode, I don't think. Okay, then it must be a different episode. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, okay. the mystery I know who woman, you mean. I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. That people, back in the day, they speculated that was Rose Quartz. <laughs> um, um, it could be a Rose Quartz. I guess. Did you, but anyway. I, it, have you seen the episode with the other Rose Quartzes? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's an episode called Rosebuds. Um Okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to get that on record. We'll see. Okay. If, if there's any. Uh, so you're if, thinking if the your ultimate. prediction is that the mystery woman is. <laughs> Not necessarily that we'll just even see her again. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. So uh, I've talked about Steven Universe long enough. Let's get to a book from 1913. All right. Uh, I, I've been reading The Patchwork Girl of Oz. All right. Um, so this one, the main character is Ojo the Unlucky. Mm-hmm. He's a munchkin. Um, and he and his unk nunky, um, <laughs> visit their closest and only neighbor, Dr. Pipped, the crooked sorcerer. Um, so he's the creator of the come alive powder that animated Jack Pumpkinhead and the sawhorse way back in the second book. Okay. Yeah. And after six years of brewing has made more powder in order to animate a patchwork slave for his wife. Oh, it's really funny. He, he's literally crooked and <laughs> he uh, he's strapped two la- he strapped a ladle each to his legs so that his limbs can simultaneously stir four cauldrons for six years. <laughs> um, anyway, I feel like I, feel like act- I might have seen a picture of this character somewhere. Uh, there is one in there. Um, so there's an accident in the lab when they do animate the, the patchwork doll, but uh his wife and Unk Nunky get petrified. So Ojo undertakes a quest across Oz to collect the reagents for the petrification counter potion. Hmm. Yeah. Um, his initial traveling companions include, well, Scraps, the patchwork girl, who is a lot of fun. Um, she's kind of crazy because when nobody was like, at first, um, uh, the sorcerer's wife was going to limit her brain so that she would be a good slave. Mm-hmm. And Ojo just snuck in like everything. He just dumped every ingredient <laughs> of brains. <laughs> so as a consequence, she's just kind of wild. That refers to her as crazy and she likes to sing and joke a lot. Um, she's pretty horrific. So yeah, she's made from a patchwork quilt. Uh, and as a consequence, 
the cotton in her makes parts of her lumpy or misshapen. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got some sparse, wild uh, brown yarn for hair, uh, suspender buttons for eyes. Yeah. And like the scarecrow, she has a mouth to nowhere um, <laughs> that is filled with pearls for teeth. Oh. Yeah, she's she's quite a thing to look at. Yeah, and, I imagine, but she's yeah. A, She's a great character. She's like punk in 1913. Like the first thing she enjoys is how, how kind of horrific she looks. Oh. And, you know, they cross in the countryside and talk about how everything in, Mun- in Munchkin land is blue and kind of boring. She's just, well, there's some other colors and she's like reveling about her clashing weird colors. She's yeah. cool. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, I like the name Scraps. Yeah, yeah. And their other travel, his other initial traveling companion is Bungle the Glass Cat. <laughs> it's... It's, yeah, Dr. Pipped and his wife animated the glass cat because they thought it would make a good companion. Mm-hmm. But like all talking cats in Oz, she's rude as heck and uh, uh, in her case doesn't have any inclination to chase mice. Mm. Um, I don't know why, she, why you'd want that anyway since mice and Oz are nice. But anyway, mm. uh, so she's made a glass, but you can see inside that she has um, two emerald eyes, a ruby heart. And some pink pebbles for brains. Okay. And uh, she, she's like a Coen Brothers character in that she repeats the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Whenever she mentions her pink brains, she ends with, you can see him work. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, uh. Uh, as I read this, reading this book, one thing that strikes me, and this is not me trying to subvert things. This is just like a natural reaction. It's kind of shocking how totalitarian Oz is. Hmm. Um, so Ozma and Glinda, uh, well, first of all, in the last book, they made it so that Oz was invisible to everyone on the outside so that no darn foreigners will show up there anymore. Right. Um, further, they've outlawed sorcery in Oz. Hmm. Except for themselves. They can still do it. <clears throat> um, further, Okay, so one of the ingredients Ojo's got to collect is a six-leaf clover. All right. And he learns on the road as he gets near the Emerald City that it's it's against the law to pick six-leaf six leaf clovers. Uh, um, hmm. So the plan is that he, he's he got to go to Oz, get in good with Dorothy, and have her ask Ozma to let him do it. But along the way, he's thinking, well, this law makes no sense. I don't even think Ozma will let me. And there's a six-leaf clover. It might take forever for me to find another one. So he secretly picks it. Yeah. And then when he gets to Emerald City, he's immediately arrested. <laughs> See, Ozma's got a portrait that shows her things around Oz. Uh-huh. So it showed her this munchkin that, like, she's never heard of. Pick a six-leaf clover, like, a day away from her city. <laughs> and if she didn't see it, Glenda would have seen her and seen the detail in the book that tells her everything that's going on. <laughs> it's like the ultimate big brother state. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if they, yeah, if you're really trouble, they can uh, make you drink from the fountain of oblivion. Well, so your personality and memories will be destroyed. So, kind of scary. Yeah. Um, I got one other note for this book, Uh and that's that uh, at one point, Scraps uh, meets a underground people called the Horners, named because they have little six-inch horns. Okay. And, um. She's taken into the chieftain's house, and the chieftain's house is 
just every surface is covered with translucent, shimmering, silvery shine, sheen, sheen, shine. And he informs her that this is just the radium that they've gotten out of the mine and that radium really is the best thing ever. And you know what? It's medicine too, because nobody who's ever been around a radium will ever get sick. Hmm. If you want a passage in this book that proves that it's from 1913, that's it. I was going to say, uh, I'm trying to think of when radiation was discovered and understood. Yeah, Marie Curie discovered it in like the 1880s, and this book is in the 1910s. Okay. So I read up on it, and yeah, it was all the rage. People were like drinking water <laughs> infused with radium because it was going to be healthy for you. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Until, you know, yeah. a bunch of them started dying. Yeah. But yeah. Which reminds me, um, just to go back real quick, there was one thing in The Legend of Korra that uh, annoyed me quite a bit, mm -hmm. which was there's a, there's a bit where Korra is poisoned. Mm -hmm. And the solution to this was uh, one of Tenzin's daughters, Jahira, saying, oh, you can get it out. The poison's metallic. And I just went, I, I said out loud, oh, come on. Because yeah. I, I, I. The idea that she could finally exude it from her body. Well, no, it was the idea that the one, how did you hear a know that? And two, when mm. the poison was administered, it was in a green light. So okay. the poison, like and they're, the guys are picking it up and like swishing it around like water. And I figured, okay, it's poison. Yes. Well, it, it turns out later when they get it out in the daylight and it's silver, you can see that it's mercury. Oh, okay. But, but I'm like, th th that was, I can understand that as a poison, but that was not mm. well explained. Like it was, they never said what it was. It was introduced in a light where you couldn't see that it was metal. It just looked like a black and green fluid. Um, okay. And also, why did Jahira know that it was metallic? I guess if she saw it, she would in that light. But I just think that that part wasn't explained very well. I guess really skilled metal benders can actually feel which metal is nearby, maybe. Maybe. Well, Jahira's an airbender. She wouldn't know. Right. That's the uh, one of Tenzin's daughters, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or is it? Yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah mm. it's, it's his daughter with the spirits. Um, okay, yeah. But yeah, and also, yeah, I mean, I've... I've had to suspend my disbelief before in Avatar because, you know, there was the comet and it's like, oh, this comet's going to make firebenders. <laughs> say, they're going to make this, firebenders well, well, real strong. Like, mm. I'm going to call this event Korra's Comet. Yeah. Well, yeah, for me, I, I'm thinking of the science and they're like, oh, we can bend metal except platinum because it's too pure. And I'm like, well, mercury is an element. I think right. I think just pure mercury would also be pretty pure metal. Uh, okay. I guess they can only bend alloys, usually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Sorry to interrupt. All right. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I guess I'm done. I got other crud, but I'll just push it to next week. All right. Um, we got cartoons to review. Yeah, all right. Let's watch uh, cartoons. So, uh, you gave me an anime called bo 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 No, <laughs> no. Actually you, actually, you gave me a cartoon, a Merry Melodies, I believe it is, called yeah. Hobo Bobo. Uh, hmm. I forgot to actually look at the credits to this one, but I assume it's directed by Chuck Jones based on the way it looks. No, it's Robert McKimson. Oh, that's right. You said that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, good. So, yeah. Um, let's explain what this is. 
There's a narrator and he tells the story uh, starts in India and Bobo, by the way, I did write notes for this. I'm not just watching it in real time and reciting it here. <laughs> OK, um, so Bobo's a little elephant in India and in India, of mm. course, they use elephants for labor, specifically carrying around logs. And uh, Bobo just kind of knows he, he's he's carrying little logs right now. But he knows that it's just a matter of time before he's going to have to carry around <laughs> big logs. Uh, what? He's a victim of big log. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sounds like it could be an industry in the Last Airbender, actually. Uh, yeah. Or maybe Legend of Korra. Whatever. Oh, by the, by the way, I like that the uh, the middling competing technology corporation is Cabbage Corp. With the right, with the guy who's who's uh, arrested my cabbage corp. Like I was, ho yes. I was hoping he would be in every season, but he wasn't. That's uh, uh, one time gag. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, where was I? Logs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's big. It's heavy. It's wood, and hmm. he doesn't like the idea that this is his future. Uh, his little crystal ball that he looks in just turns into an eight ball because it's so black. His future. Hmm. But then one day he gets a letter from his uncle Jumbo in America. Now, Jumbo works at the circus playing elephant baseball. And immediately I'm thinking there's an there's a Looney Tunes of some description where there's an elephant who plays baseball. And yes. And the only thing that I could remember from that episode was an empire emphatically going, there's nothing in the rule book that says an elephant can't pitch. Was and this the first one? Is this like this predates uh, Gus, the field goal kicking mule? <laughs> Maybe. But I'm thinking yeah. I'm thinking because that's the only part of that that cartoon that I remembered. I was like, oh, is yeah. it this cartoon is, is the yet, rest no. of this cartoon like leading up to that? No. By the way, on that note, a circus baseball team. <laughs> have you had you ever heard of such a thing? I I'm looking at this like, uh, is that something elephants do in the circus? In well, you know, I I, I kind of looked this up. Apparently, circus baseball is a thing that exists. And it's kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters, but for baseball. Mm, mm. I'm sort of... So, a, you know, wacky crud. The, actually, yeah, I read, a, I read a Wikipedia yeah. article about that uh, recently. Uh, the Har hmm. a, a team that was like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. Um, <laughs> and it's uncertain when they even disbanded. Uh, anyway... Yeah. Boy, I'm getting way off track here. Okay, yeah. so look, the point is that Bobo likes this idea of playing elephant baseball in the circus and decides that he's going to go to America too. But he immediately finds trouble because he can't get on the boat. There's a guard, uh, obviously, mm. who isn't going to let a baby elephant without a ticket get on a boat. Hmm. So Bobo tries a few things. He tries tight rope tight rope walking up one of the tying ropes he tries smuggling himself inside a crate uh, various things but it it, yeah. it doesn't work but then your classic cartoon minor bird who walks up with hmm. that do 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 music and does yeah. a little bloop in the air yeah he shows up and suggests that bobo paint himself pink what we'll see the bird is thinking no human is going to admit to seeing a pink elephant. Although Bobo doesn't realize this exactly. But for whatever reason, it works. He gets onto the boat and the guard assumes that he needs to kick the secret drink. Yeah. Um, you know, that this is like a phrase, an expression. 
What was that? Seeing pink elephants means that you're like high or drunk. Well, I, I would assume that because it also shows yeah. up in uh, Dumbo. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I figured this was a thing. But yeah, mm. um, outdated by now, but we understand what's going on. And yeah, it works a treat. Everybody on the boat just doesn't want to acknowledge that they're seeing a pink elephant. And so Bobo kind of has the run of the place. But uh, once he gets to America, things are a little bit different. Um, people still kind of don't want to admit that they see this elephant. They they're scared of him or they ignore him. And then on top of everything else, just as he's at his most dejected, a street washer comes by and washes off the paint. Now, Bobo's furious, but at this point, people start noticing him again, which is good. But unfortunately, he's arrested. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he is sentenced to life in the circus. Mm. Hey, that's Whoa. just what he wanted. Yeah. Finally, he gets to be on the elephant baseball team as the bat boy. Not really what he was mm. hoping for, because he's still just carrying around glorified logs. The end. Hmm. Maybe one day he'll get to be on a real baseball team. Yeah, in another cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so this was interesting. I don't know that I remember this cartoon. Um, I don't re I, I kind of do, but not really. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember the elephant baseball playing one. Um, that was the evolution of me getting to this point. Ah. Is I was looking at uh, uh, baseball bugs. Ah. You know, the cartoon where he's complaining about the other team cheating, so they make him play all the positions on the field. <laughs> and almost, like, a lot of the jokes in that cartoon are the same as the other cartoon that's got Bobo. Mm -hmm. But this is Bobo's origin. Yeah, origin story for Bobo. Um, <laughs> interesting. I mean, it's... Yeah. It doesn't have a lot in the way of gags that I thought were well, hilarious. I wish this had more dimension because it stays on the pink elephant thing for too long. Yeah, it kind of does. I like there's certain things where he like he gets kicked out and he's like um, the the narrator says something like. It it really hurt when he something it, it sounded like when, it started out when sounding, he landed on his first attempt. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounded like it was going to be dirty, but then it wasn't. And then there's like one there's like. Most people were on the boat, but uh, 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 Hobo made his most of his trip on the rails, and it's him leaning over the side of the boat being sick. Um, yeah, yeah. So a little bit weak in terms of gags. Um, yeah, well, yeah, it kind of sets up. I was thinking he's only in two cartoons, this one and Gone Batty. Yeah. Uh, if you don't <laughs> if you don't count the crowd in Space Jam. Um, <laughs> I wish this angry little elephant was in more cartoons. And I think he could be sort of like a wily e. coyote sort of figure who's hapless in his pursuits and just fails over and over again. Like, like I'm trying to get on the boat. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, no, you could do, you could do something with this, but um, yeah, I think this, this cartoon, I mean, it's neat to see, like it, it's always fun yeah. to see a Looney Tunes that I haven't seen before. Cause I assumed this was mm. going to be really old. Um, no, but it's not. It's forties. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But he's unusual as an animal that walks around on all fours. Uh, true. Yes. No clothes. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, I like his design. Yeah. Uh, he's got some unusually realistic details. Like you notice that 
uh, ridge on his spine, mm-hmm. this particular elephant. Yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, like that. yeah. Um, and there's some like little bits. Like I like the guard's reaction to seeing the pink elephant. Like he's like just holds his chin and puts his whole hand yes. in his mouth and walks <laughs> yeah. over to the little tie up bollard thing and lifts it up and kicks yeah. away the booze that he had hidden underneath it. Um, so there's neat. I little... like the baby. The baby that throws away his bottle, like, I gotta get off the sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. That <laughs> yeah. baby really looked like a John Chris Felucci baby, I felt. Oh, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I guess this isn't, it's not one of the super great Looney Tunes no. of all time, but. But it's an oddity. It is an oddity. It's interesting to see. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of animals finding a new <laughs> home. Um, hey, nice. Yeah, I did it. Um, I'm looking at a Silly Symphony. Maybe the third most known Silly Symphony, maybe? <laughs> um, the Three Little Pigs, directed by Bert Gillett or Gillette. I don't know. Yeah. 1933. Uh, so I think most people know the story of the Three Little Pigs. So here we go. Uh, the first little pig is literally throwing together his house out of straw. And I think his uh, simple dwelling qualifies as a hut and not a house. Anyway, he sings about it, bragging about how careless he is. And he just toots his flute all day. Not a euphemism. (laughs) Uh, We next see his brother building his house. I I mean, hut out of sticks. And wood is a sound building material, but he actually is just using sticks. Uh, He also has a song about how he too does a slapdash job so that he has time for playing the fiddle and dancing jigs. Hmm. Then it's the last pig. This most sober brother sings about how he's building his house of bricks and hard work doesn't leave any time for making merry. Um, his mortar grout makes a great sound whenever he travels it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, these pigs actually have names. They're Pfeiffer pig Fiddler Pig, and Practical Pig. What a square. <laughs> <laughs> so Pfeiffer and Fiddler finish their flimsy homes, and they perform a duet to mock both the Big Bad Wolf and their brother for working so hard to build a wolf-safe brick house. <laughs> um, those frivolous pig brothers carry on about how they'll show that wolf a thing or two, but they prove to be paper pigs when the wolf actually shows up each running to to their home for protection. Did you notice that their homes uh, have an outdoor bathroom? <laughs> outside the hay hut is a piss pot, and outside the twig shack is a bucket. <laughs> I didn't catch anyway, that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I assume that's the, what they're meant to be. Um, yeah, yeah. As the fairy tale goes, the wolf blows the straw hut down, uh, and then Pfeiffer runs to the stick hut for protection. The wolf can't burst through the door, so he pretends to gallop away. You know that thing where you're patting your knees? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as wolf sound as wolves sound when they run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then he reappears in a basket with a lamb costume, like a baby abandoned to a doorstep. But those pigs might be foolish, but they ain't that foolish. Hmm. The pig has to resort to his standby, exhaling real hard enough that he shatters the building. Uh, those pigs run to the brick house for practicals protection. He gloats a little bit, but then jumps on his piano, 
for an earned rendition of Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Yeah. So, yeah, Big Bad tries to make his performing arts degree work for him again, and he shows up at the front door as a fuller brush salesman. <laughs> Practical sees through it, and from his defensible position, gives the wolf several beatings with one of his prop brushes, and then pulls the welcome mat out from under him. Uh, the wolf resorts to his powerful breath powers, but as advertised, the strong brick house stands in spite of his gusty breaths. <laughs> in fact, Practical plays the piano as dramatic counterpoint to the blowing in order to mock the effort. Um, just like the old fairy tale when the wolf can't blow the brick house down, he tries sliding down the chimney, and also just like the fairy tale, he's headed for a hot cauldron boiling on the fireplace. Yeah. For extra... Oh, hmm? you go ahead. Yeah. You're going to say it. I was going to say for extra ouchies, Practical pours a big tin of turpentine into the water. Yeah, what was that about? It's like, I thought that was going to go somewhere, like it was going to explode or something, but I guess it was just for torture? Yeah, like, I I was thinking about that too. Like, turpentine stings, yeah. so there's that. I think it boils hotter, so there's that too. Okay. And I guess when you consider everything, for somebody growing up in the 30s, Having a bad experience with turpentine was probably universal. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't have, even when we were young, turpentine was a thing. But nowadays, if I go into a house, I bet I don't find turpentine. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the pained wolf launches up out of the chimney and then hauntingly howls as he retreats down the path. Yeah. Um, back at the brick house... The pigs revel in one more rendition of Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? But Practical simulates a knock at the door in order to make his brother show their true colors and hide under the bed. <laughs> so I know you're going to be wanting a pig watch here. Ah, uh, sure. Uh, these pigs are pretty dorky. <laughs> um, I don't know if a lot of love went into their designs, but I will at least say as far as having pig characteristics go, they got dead ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, I guess I got some voice stuff here that's kind of interesting. All right. Bill Fletcher was the big bad wolf. Also, the bear slash cat slash dog that is Black Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, you can hear it, but it surprised me when I looked it up. Uh, Pinto Kolvig, Goofy himself, huh. is Practical Pig. Hmm. Yeah, doing a kind of a more hoarse voice. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other pigs, Pfeiffer and Fiddler, are Dorothy Compton and Mary Motor. Hmm. Um, and they did a little more voice work, mostly being these pigs. Uh, but interestingly, they're part of a performing trio called the Rhythmettes with May Questel, oh, Olive Oil, and Betty Boop. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of fun. It is fun. Huh. Yeah. Um, is this cartoon fun? As a little kid, I think I felt all the silly symphonies were for babies. Mm. And they kind of are. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's okay. I mean, it's a faithful telling of the story. It is. It might be the most famous telling of the story. Um, it maybe. I, well, I don't know. Like, I think. No, you're probably right. I think it's been so long now that like. I wasn't even sure if it was a fairy tale or originated with this cartoon. Um, because 
No, it's an old story. It is. It is. I know that now. But I, I was for a while, I was like unsure which came first, whether this was a whole cloth Disney creation or an adaptation of a, a fable. Um, and it, it is an adaptation of a fable, but it's just like so ubiquitous in pop culture. Like that song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Like that was a hit record. True. At the time, <laughs> like, yeah, it was selling out in all the shops. Could you believe that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, no. Well, yes, yes and no. I, I, I guess we don't hear about the things that didn't sell. I guess. Well, I guess at the time, like, what was the year for this one? You said 1933. I think so. So yeah. at the time, there wasn't much of a like musical act recording artist industry well it was just yeah it's like it's, it's like the stanley cup if you're one of six nhl teams you uh, sell a hot record you yeah. know <laughs> but also like any kind of like permanent recording of a song is still kind of a novelty yeah so it's like oh cool i'll, I'll pay the 25 cents for this record of this song we can play on the phonograph mm. over and over especially since we have to go to the theater to see this cartoon again. Right. Like, mm. This is your only, like, if you really, like, this is a really popular cartoon. I believe it won the Oscar, or at least was nominated. And so, yeah, like, the idea of, we want to watch this over and over again in our own homes, and the only way to do that is with this record. So, yeah. True. Yeah. I often wonder, because I don't, I've never had little kids. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wonder, do little kids know about the three little pigs? Do they hear about them i don't know i mean i we did when we were kids yeah um, but a lot of these fairy tales and fables like like uh i don't i think uh the princess and the pea is one that like kids don't know about today yeah that's true not that it's a great story or anything anything that wasn't adopted adapted rather by disney yeah i don't know but mm. yeah that's an interesting point i remember mm. um once in elementary school, we were putting on a school play and it was the on the performance night. They wanted me to test the microphone, like have some audio going through so that they could get all the levels and stuff set up. Right. And mm. so they gave me the microphone backstage and they told me just say anything. Just tell the story of the three little pigs. And so I started telling the story of the three little pigs. And I kind of noticed that there were some kids coming over and sort of sitting by the speaker listening to it. But the thing mm -hmm. is, when I got to the part where the wolf was blown on the door and mm. I'm thinking to myself, the phrase is little pig, little pig, let me in, not by the hair of mm. my chinny chin chin. But I started to second guess, like, is that like a specific cartoon thing or is that like the way is that phrase the way that the story actually goes? Yeah, that's the classic. And so I didn't say it. I said something like, uh, no. let me in. Like, no, no, I won't let you in or whatever. Because I was second guessing whether <laughs> it was like an appropriate part of the story or just something from a specific telling of right. it. So mm. I screwed that up. But I don't think anybody mm. complained. Also, I cut the story short because they told me that they had the levels right and I could stop now. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> anecdote for this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so I think that's what I got to say about this cartoon. Okay. Um, how about another property that kids probably have no idea about today? <laughs> yeah, and we'll debate whether May Quistel has anything to do with it. Um, yep. Yeah, so this is called Can You Take It? And it's one of them old Popeyes. The fourth one, I think. Ooh. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this starts with Popeye singing his song as he walks mm. with olive oil to her work, which is the hospital ward at a place called the Bruiser Boys Club. Hmm. And after he drops her off, Popeye investigates this club because there's a sign outside that says, can you take it? We dare you to join. And, you know, mm. Popeye's a noted tough. So yeah. he so he heads inside and it's fight club. Like, like yes, the the first rules don't talk about Bruiser Boys Club. I guess <laughs> just put a sign outside yeah. that dares you to come in. Um, right. So yeah, this is a bunch of guys all just happily beating each other up. Like yes. there's two guys <laughs> kicking each other over and over. Two guys in the foreground walk over, shake hands, punch each other for a few seconds, then shake hands and walk away again. Um, yeah. And and there's a series of. Guys going out on stretchers into the infirmary, uh, mm. supposedly where olive oil works. And Popeye thinks yeah. this looks like great fun. So he heads into the membership committee to join. Hey, guess what? Bluto is the president. And interesting, they say mm. like his name. You don't see the name very often, but Bluto is actually written like Bluto president. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so Popeye says he wants to join and, you know, Bluto and his two sidekicks laugh at the idea of this uh, scrawny weirdo wanting to join their club. And so they trade hand-crushing handshakes. You know, the thing where Bluto <laughs> crushes Popeye's hand, and so then Popeye crushes Bluto's hand. They trade cigar smoke blowing. Really weird <laughs> gag where Popeye <laughs> blows the smoke out of the dot that he has for an eye like it's an orifice. Yes. Well, he one-ups Bluto each time, so I, I guess, guess if you want to blow up, you know, if you want to one-up him just blowing smoke in your face, the manly thing is to squirt it out of your eye. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the, the, the next step is that Popeye is blindfolded and put through the first, second, and third degree, which is basically a gauntlet of tortures. It starts <laughs> with a couple of saw blades, and I was wondering how Popeye was going to get out of this. Now, remember, he's blind. And all this. He's blindfolded. Yeah. And because he's a because Popeye is invincible, he just walks through mm. and laughs as they tickle him and the saw <laughs> blades are ruined. Um, yeah. He stumbles blindly through some mechanized stomps and kicks and punches and falls down a, a spirally staircase. He uh, he ends up in an iron maiden on an elevator back up. But. Obviously, when Bluto opens it up again, uh, Popeye is inside completely unharmed and all the knives inside are all bent around him. Hmm. Uh, they say they're going to take his picture, but they actually shoot him in the stomach with a cannon. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, he's Popeye, so the ball bounces back into the cannon and shoves it away. Although Popeye is being hurt by all this and he's yep. finally put on the cart to the hospital and he's happy to be there with Olive. Um, but... He is informed that he's not a member because he couldn't take it. Uh, hmm. I'll mention very briefly here. Sometimes I've mentioned before, sometimes a cartoon will have a cool gag that I've never seen before. And okay. in this case, it was Papa gets the thermometer put in his mouth and then it just <laughs> it s sucks down to ash like a cigarette just because yeah. he's so hot. Like that's that's yeah. a really good gag. Sure. But anyway, he couldn't take it, but he's not having that. And we know how the rest of this cartoon's going to go. He whips out the spinach and spends the next 90 seconds beating everyone up in amusing ways. You know, 
<laughs> yes. Just Popeye things. Um, <laughs> there's some really, I like the, that, uh, domino effect where he punches oh, yeah. a group and then he's laughing and then the last guy knocks him over and he gets up, whoa, and he punches the other way and that knocks him over the other way. It's, and then, so he's like, enough of that smashes the floor and makes all the floorboards burst up and all those guys go flipping out. <laughs> yeah, that is a good gag, but it's also kind of weird to see yeah. Popeye in any way vulnerable while he's under the effects of the spinach. He's comically vulnerable. Yeah. But yeah, I know but what you it, mean. it is weird. I yeah. mean, like you said, do you think this is like the fourth one? So maybe they're still kind of, they're still kind of figuring out the, um, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Pattern. His the, motifs. The, yeah. There's a better word for it, but, um, but anyway, yeah. So he beats everyone up. Um, good gags. There's a, he gets all the guys in a pile and then <laughs> swings them around in a chain, like a lasso, which is pretty good. Yeah. He finally. How'd you like the guy? The guy that's just hanging around in a suit of armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He punches him into a stove. Oh, you nasty yeah. man. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> really uh, oddly gay for 1934. I think I like a lot of these cartoons. That's a specific comedian. That ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, in the end, he gets behind the presidential desks and bangs the gavel and knocks down the whole building with his super strength. <laughs> and then he's with all of it. It's the end. Yeah. Okay. So first thing we got to talk about is all voice. It's weird. What is up with yeah. this? Now I've looked it up and the internet says that this is May Quistel, but I doubt it. Um, well, it, well, I don't know. Maybe this is early. Like, I don't mind it. I, I don't mind olive oil being like this. It's um, I it, it it's different. Um, I'm I'm just thinking like this doesn't sound like it doesn't it isn't as shrill as as olive. It isn't no. the olive oil voice that I know. Like you said, it's early. Maybe they're still figuring it out. But also, yeah. Um, worth noting is that uh, May Quistel was the second voice of Ollie uh, olive oil. The first was a lady yeah. named Bonnie Poe, and yeah, this cartoon isn't on her filmography but i'm still wondering if it's her either that yeah or maybe they were just trying extra because may Quistel was also betty boop and was very known for like even in live action performance doing that voice and so maybe they were just trying to be different from betty boop but maybe the records are a little spotty so yeah, yeah. i just don't know um also noteworthy here uh olive oil has breasts which is, oh, I have pig watch. You have boob watch. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. it's just like, I didn't even notice until the end of the cartoon when she was standing there yeah. with Papa. I was like, hey, wait a minute. They drew as weird. Um, mm. but, um, yeah, everything's, it's so early that everything's just a little different. Like, like Bluto oh, doesn't yes. quite look like Bluto. He he's recognizable as Bluto, but it's not like yeah. the on model that you might consider. Popeye yep. doesn't have... And you don't... Hmm? You, you know, as I was say, Popeye, you don't have Jack Mercer doing his voice yet. Yeah. And he, do, he doesn't do much of that. He does a little bit, but not the refined muttering that he's famous exactly. for. Exactly. He doesn't He doesn't have mm. his constant uh, ad-libbed... Yeah, there's a thing going on here. Like, yeah. like making some little pun in the background or whatever. Um, but it's still... You know, it's still a Popeye cartoon and it's still it's it's sure. it's cool in many ways, like in, in quirky, like the weird not oh. olive oil, the weird fight yeah. club. I love all the, yes. the toughs. 
I like the I like the yeah. way they look. They're all big and round and just like these windmilling yeah. punches with stars coming off of them and stuff. Um, I'll tell you, it, this cartoon just charmed me right off the bat when he walks in and it's just people facing each other and hitting each other over the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, Popeye yeah. character designs from this era are so good. Just the incidental characters. Mm. Like, I just love them standing there. Um, like I said, all round and like chubby arms and stuff and just kind of sure. with that little bit of an... A 1930s bop to their animation. Um, right. So, yeah, like you said, charming. I mean, it's a Popeye cartoon. You kind of, well, you sort of know what you're going to get. Although, it's, I guess it's always, the difference with Popeye is what you get before he eats the spinach. And. Oh, I guess so, yeah. yeah and in this case, it's like, you know, it, it, those those tough guys, those bruiser boys are quite charming. And then the. <laughs> And their weird gauntlet of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. an expensive, uh, expensive trial by fire there. Um, but yep. charming is the word. That's a good word. Um, I always like mm. uh, these old Popeyes. And so it was neat to see all this old stuff. Uh, wow. Yeah. So good stuff. And from here, um, I guess we move on to <laughs> a cartoon that might have been a little ill-conceived of me to give you. But uh, let's try it anyway. Well, conceived. Well, for being redundant. Yeah, because no. I'm thinking because I started thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute. How is Micah going to explain this when these cartoons? Oh, I, got, are... I got stuff to talk. All right. About. Go ahead. I got stuff All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. This this is pigs in a polka. Direct. Is this even this, the music in this thing isn't even a polka anyway. Whatever. I know. I know. Cartoon titles are stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Frizz Freeling. Most of us think of him as uh, the ruiner of Looney Tunes in the 70s and <laughs> 80s, but he was making them back in 1943, and this is a pretty good one. Um, so it begins, mounted on a conductor's podium is the big bad wolf in a tuxedo. He's a very Mel Blanc sounding wolf. <laughs> uh, he introduces that the story will be to the music of Johannes Brahms. Then... He leads in that the three little pigs will be building their houses. And then curiously, that's all we get of the narr narration. The rest of the cartoon is a conventional narrative. Um, we see the first pig build himself a prefab straw house. And there's some nice detail about setting up the poles and the wire frame, complete with a rooster weather vane at the top. And then he just hurriedly forks straw all over it so that he can lounge with a beverage. Yeah. There's some nice nice touches, like the potted plants at the doorstep are straw trees. <laughs> and also, also this pig wears a straw boater hat. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next pig announces himself as the one who builds his house of sticks, specifically uh, matchsticks. What a dangerous building. That might be yeah. <laughs> the most dangerous material a pig has ever built a house out of. <laughs> Maybe. Um so traditionally, yeah, this structure is supposed to be a step more secure than the straw hut. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, the, the matchstick cabin collapses right away. And uh, we're talking about things kids of different eras have never done. Uh, in our era, I never built a matchstick cabin. No, me neither. Um, yeah, I guess having it fall apart when you put the last matchstick on the top is just like collapsing a house of cards as the last pair. I think it might be part of like... Every single adult telling you not to play with matches. Is it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have because I know I didn't I, have access to a lot of matches or at least not wooden no. matches. Like it would have been like little cardboard ones in a book. Right. The flimsy ones. Yeah. That you tear. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think this is a thing you did. And as I say it, once again, kids today, 
I bet most of them have never built a house of, out of cards. True, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the last pig is making his house of bricks. And this time, his mortar grouting sounds like a sound yeah. as he dra drags his trowel across the line. Um, and he's nearly done with his chimney. There's a stork that's patiently waiting on a nearby tree branch, and then he force forcefully nests atop the chimney the moment that it's done. <laughs> um, anyway, the, uh, this pig continues to toil, and his brothers laugh at him for doing so. And by the way, each pig in this cartoon has a numbered shirt, yeah. which is the closest thing these ones have to names. So straw pig is one, sticks pig is two, and bricks is three. Yeah, well, there are the three little pigs, so yeah. Right. Um, so flamboyantly entering the stage is the big bad wolf. He jumps into the path and does that kneeling, kicking Cossack dance along the way. Yeah. And I kind of like how his tail slaps the ground to the rhythm. <laughs> um, so the wolf sneaks from tree to tree, but his slyness is undermined when he accidentally falls into the pond. <laughs> uh, when he emerges, he's dressed as a female dancer with a tambourine. The Romani allure seems like it's too much for pigs one and two, and they follow him behind a rock. <laughs> and you hear a resulting scuffle, but it subverts their expectation as the pigs come out fine and themselves dressed as sexy tambourinists and dancers. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the wolf comes out and chases them to the straw hut, and he deals with it by lighting at a fire. It instantly burns to nothing. And the pig advances, or rather, the wolf advances on the pigs again. They're now in their normal clothes. Um, they run to the stick hut and hide behind the door. But guess what? It's still a ruined mess. <laughs> they, that was funny. Uh, they, they hurriedly rebuild the hut around themselves. But the big bad wolf delivers the coup de gras by dropping the final matchstick onto it and causing the structure to collapse again. Interesting that he burned I, down the straw house and then. Yeah, I expected it to be a running yeah, gag. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, I thought this was real funny when the pigs close the door and then turn and see that there's no building behind them. <laughs> uh, that, that's, pig number two is really lazy. Like he just stopped. <laughs> anyway, uh, the pigs now retreat to number three's brick house. Uh, the wolf can't batter in the door. And for the first and only time in this cartoon, he tries his powerful breath, but that don't work. Of course it don't. <laughs> um, he tries once more to break the door, but the pigs open the front door so that he runs out of control through the house to the back door, which three opens afterwards and allows the day's doofus to fall outside. Uh, the, wolf tries, the wolf tries to appeal, appeal to their pity in a tattered shawl. He's, he's, he's fiddling and he's under uh, the fall of some false talcum snow. Um, so they let him in, but, you know, he's not really playing the violin. There's a phonograph, that's an old record player, under his dress. And when Three discovers that, he switches the record back so that it's the same music as before. And the wolf impulsively Cossack dances until all his disguise is shaken away. Um, but he's in the house and he chases one through three throughout this surprisingly big house. Yeah. Uh, there's some gags. They unknowingly enter the same room by two different doors. And speaking of two doors, there's a Dutch door inside for some reason. That's uh, one of those doors where the top half and the bottom half can open independently. Yeah. Uh, 
So the smaller pigs need only the bottom door to be opened, so when the wolf chases them, he runs face first into the upper door. And then the pigs take the elevator downward. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf tries to take it next, but there's no elevator car, so he just falls down the shaft. Uh, the pigs watch the injured canine stagger out of the elevator and then collapse at their trotters. Iris out, the rather abrupt end. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those cartoons, right? It's kind of like that uh, fox fur cartoon where it ends in a fade to black that seems to be jumping on the action so quick. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but for all that, in every regard, I enjoyed this cartoon more than the Silly Symphony. Well, yeah, they had... <laughs> They had material to parody, right. if, th if that makes sense. It's like, you know, everybody's already seen and heard the story of the Three Little Pigs. Now let's do something right. different with it. Let's put some gags around the story. Yeah, some real Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this one's written by Michael Maltese. It really shows. Mm. See, he's written a lot of great cartoons that include Baseball Bugs, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, Feed the Kitty. Ah, yeah. Yeah, he's... Done some real nice gags, uh, real nice concepts. Mm -hmm. I actually went quite a bit through the cast here of this thing because uh, uh, I was impressed by it. Leonard Kester did some uh, nice, simple backgrounds, really colorful. Um, and the animation department is pretty impressive. It's full of heavy hitters that include Phil Monroe, Manuel Perez, uh, Jerry Chiniqui, and best name always, Dick Bickenbach. <laughs> I've mentioned him once on the show, but I couldn't figure out which cartoon it was for. Yeah. But, but he also uh, worked on Hobo Bobo. So there you go. Oh, all right. Yeah, two cartoons, some pretty good animation. Um, yep, and I agree. As always, Carl Stalling did this Looney Tune music, but I was surprised to find out that he also did the Silly Symphony Three Little Pigs. So. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. Uh, you know, I guess... I guess Warner Brothers was a small studio back in the time, the Three Little Pigs time, making terrible Bosco cartoons. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Comparing the two directly, the drawing is way better here. Yeah. And generally, I like the designs of the pigs a lot more. Yeah, they're good pigs. <laughs> Their bare lower halves look especially naughty to me here, though. <laughs> As opposed to the robust butts of the uh, uh, Silly Symphony, you got some like svelte silky uh legs and pelvises anyway yeah um and a good little a good uh sequence that they repeat a couple of times with the one yes the one pig kind of dancing in a little circle while the other one holds a finger on his head and he's like the pirouette his with his like, tongue yeah, out and his hips kind of gyrating side to side like that was one of the yeah that was one so of the good. few things about this cartoon that i remember like this cartoon's right. weird like i know that i've seen it a bunch and there's little things that kind of yeah. Perk in my brain, but not as a whole. And which is funny because it's good. Yeah. It is. It is really good. But like that little dance was like, oh, I remember well, that. And then the old lady or wolf as an old lady with the talcum powder. Like, I remember that. Right. I like yeah. the second time they do that dance. I like that uh, number three pig has his arms folded and he's got this really sour expression. Now he's got, he's got like, no patience for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> brothers are the, idiots. Yeah. Comparing the wolves, they're both dressed in shabby patch clothes. Mm -hmm. The Disney one has a top hat, and this one has a bowler, for whatever that means, or whatever that counts for. I guess the um, Disney one fell further. <laughs> yes, or uh, maybe has false pride, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know my favorite Three Little Pigs rendition? Do you remember a show called Fairy Tale Theater? 
really vaguely. Yeah, not a cartoon. It was Shelley Duvall would put on like community theater level props and costumes, but with big name actors. (laughs) So uh, there are three little pigs stars uh, Billy Crystal as the the wise pig that builds his house of bricks Uh and uh, Jeff Goldblum as the big bad wolf. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, It does sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the best. Um, the best fairy tale theater, but there's a bunch of good ones. Um, anyway, this cartoon is uh, good. I like it. Yeah, it is good. I like it too. By the way, mm. Shelley Duvall was olive oil in the Popeye movie. Whoa! It all links together. Crazy. Hmm. The love of Popeye's life. <laughs> I guess. Um. Well. Hmm. Hey, I know. Let's transition to more love. Next week is going to be. Almost Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So let's look at love. Um, Boy, there's a cartoon that... You know how Ned's Newt was always... Whenever you give me anything, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if there's a Ned's Newt. Well, there's another, <laughs> there's another cartoon that like, I never think about, but then when it comes up, I'm always like, right, I should give Micah that one. And so okay. this is my chance. Oh, it's, chance ca- it's called... Sheep in the big city. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, by a remarkable coincidence, this is actually the first episode, unless you count the pilot. Mm. Um, so the first, like, official episode in the run or whatever. It is called Be Still My Bleating Heart. Nice. Okay. Uh, for you, Matsy, we're going to explore something new. Oh. Still animals, though. Um. There's a cartoon called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Oh, I've seen that and, name. Uh, yeah. In this case, it's If You Give a Mouse a Valentine's Cookie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Neat. All right. Yeah. So look forward to that next time. We had lots of pigs this time and an elephant and um, some tough Some tough guys. <laughs> and next time we're going to have sheep and mice. But for now... Send all your sheep and mice to at AC Matsy on Twitter, along with ideas for things that we should watch, comments on the show, retweet um, links to it. Just do all the Twitter things, except don't push me right wing garbage on my algorithm. Bye. Mm-hmm. I mentioned last time never clicking on uh, trending topics, even if they seem innocuous. Right. And immediately after that, I saw Pink Floyd trending. And I was like, okay, well, there's no way Pink Floyd is going to be bad. <laughs> it turns out it was the f- like 50th or 40th or no, it was 50th, 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. And it and they had made a logo for it with a 50 on a triangle and the zero in the 50 had a rainbow in it because of the cover of Dark Side of the Moon. Sure. And people were complaining about co-opting the 50th anniversary of that album for a gay oh, rights thing. Of course they are. And I was like, you... <laughs> the most famous album cover of all time, and you don't get it. <sighs> At AC Matsy on Twitter. <laughs> I hope they lean into it and put the green M&M on the rainbow now. <laughs> like on the t-shirts and on the posters. <laughs> or any of those M&Ms. Have you seen that sure. news? We didn't, oh, yeah. we didn't really it's talk about bonkers. that. Yeah, they, they've stopped it's, it's, using the M&M, anthropomorphic M&Ms because they're worried about 
something. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Where should <laughs> we talk about to the you? controversy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, send me stuff. How about some Valentines? I am at Drab Swatch. Um, and now for one thousand dollars, here is the answer. This is the Celery Stalker's slogan. No, you can't take it. Ooh, I'm sorry. You forgot to phrase it in the form of a question. <laughs>